I'm Brian, and today we're continuing our series called Just Jesus. And I believe that you know Christianity gets so much stuff piled on top of it that we can easily lose sight of who Jesus is. And so part of this series is trying to get down to the baseline of who is this person and what is he all about. And I think one way we do that is by understanding his purpose. Purpose determines a lot of things. If we're clear on our purpose, it changes our habits, our actions, our words, and our thoughts. So we've had some amazing weather in D.C., right? Great weather. It's like we finally have a spring. It happens once every 23 years. Where it's 70 degrees for a while, it's low humidity, and you can set out with the purpose of a joy ride. I don't know if anybody enjoys doing this, but I love it. I roll the windows down, put sunglasses on, turn the music up, right? There's a couple people. It doesn't happen a lot in D.C., but you put those windows down, you put them, turn the music up, and you just go, and it's amazing. You know, people are like yelling at you, screaming at you, and you don't care because you've got that purpose. I'm going to enjoy the ride. Now, that's a bit different than a Monday morning where maybe you've been yelling at your kids for 20 minutes, hypothetically, of course, to put their shoes on to get out the door so that you can get them to school almost on time. So you get to work for the meeting that you're already late at for the job that you're stressed about. Like you drive differently then, right? Maybe what you think is different when you're in the car or what you say to the driver next to you is different or how you wave might be different on that drive. Our purpose determines a lot of things. And too often I feel that my life, my habits, my words, my thoughts are disjointed from who I truly am. And I think that's because I'm unclear on my purpose. 81% of us, based on a a statistic taken two years ago, feel like there's a greater purpose. 70% of us are unclear what that purpose is. And when there's lack of clarity, it really affects everything that we do. So today we're going to look at Luke 5. There's something in this story that I believe clarifies who Jesus is. And it transforms Peter's life, Peter's purpose. And in understanding Jesus's purpose and what happens to Peter, I believe you and I can take a step closer to having a clearer purpose, to bringing ourselves into alignment with who we ultimately are called to be. Luke 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, he's also known as Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Lake Gennesaret is also known by the Sea of Galilee. So this is in northern Israel, and this is where much of Jesus' ministry takes place. Now, you need to notice that there's a couple groups of people. We have the crowds, right, who are following Jesus. They're hanging on his every word. They're like, man, this guy's speaking the words of God. We're going to follow him around and see what he has to say. And then there's Jesus, and then there's this other group, the fishermen. What are the fishermen doing? Are they listening to Jesus? They seem like they're off on their own purpose. They're washing their nets after a night's work. They've basically fished all night, the time when you would typically catch fish, and they haven't caught anything. Maybe frustrations are a little high. They're not bringing anything home. They're not bringing in any economy, no money that night, and they're a little frustrated. 
Now, I've heard this story in church quite a bit, and I've heard it from usually one angle, and it elevates Peter's confidence in Jesus. So one way that this tends to go, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Peter can be so filled with faith in Jesus that he's like, Jesus, no matter what, no matter how ridiculous the ask, I'm going to do it. You know, kind of almost like this, hey, I'm just going to follow you wherever. My faith in you is so high that even if it makes no sense, I know you can perform a miracle, so I'm just going to do it. And that's what I've always heard. I think there might be another option. I'm not discrediting that one completely. It might be there. But I think there's another option, if I were a little bit more cynical, which I am. Um, Peter has fished all night, 10 hours of casting out a huge, heavy net and pulling it back in empty time and time again. And he's not paying attention to Jesus. He doesn't seem to really care what Jesus is saying at this point. He just wants to get his day done with. And Jesus comes over and interrupts him. Now, if a speaker comes to you, an influencer, if you will, comes to you, and they've got a crowd of people following them around and hanging on your every word. And they're watching to see what is Jesus going to do next. And Jesus asks you, to do something that's pretty low bar. Like, I feel like you're probably going to do it, right? Because you've got eyes of everybody on you. There's a little bit of peer pressure, I think, going on here. And Peter might be a little bit frustrated and begrudgingly saying, okay, Jesus, you know, because you're asking and you've got 500 people watching me, I'm not going to ruin my reputation. I'm not going to ruin my business by saying no. Because all the people who are watching you are people who are buying my fish. There might be a little bit of peer pressure. And I pick up on this in the Greek, and we miss this in the English, but he says master. Now, master doesn't necessarily have a good connotation for us either, but in Greek, it's epistata, and it's someone who has authority or someone who stands over another. That's not surprising. Later on, this will be juxtaposed with another word for Jesus. And this term, epistata, has the sense of Jesus has authority, so no matter what he says, I just have to do it. Somebody's got power over me and I have no choice, no option in the matter I just have to do. And that changes kind of the motivation, right? He just feels stuck. He says, okay, because you say so, I will. This term happens six times in Luke, only in Luke. And Luke, every time he uses it, he just basically says, okay, this person has power and authority and everybody around just has to do what they say, whether they like it or not. Verse six. When they had done so, when Peter and his team had thrown his nets in the water, they caught such a large number of fish that their fish nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Are there any fishers in the house? Any people who like fishing? It's nobody. I heard one woo. There's a couple people over here. Um, this may be completely irrelevant. None of you like to fish. Um, I love fishing. I'm more of a caster than a fisher. Like I don't always pull in something, but I love being out on the water. And when I'm not catching anything, I get frustrated, right? I get frustrated. And I might go, God, just give me something. Like that's a faith-filled prayer, right? God, just give me something here. And if I catch a fish, I might remember that trite prayer and be like, oh, God, thank God. So, finally, something. You know, and it's not very deep. What I don't do when I catch a fish is fall on my knees and go, thank you, Jesus, I'm a sinner. 
Anybody do that? Like if your buddy in the boat with you catches a fish and then he says, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Like, what are you thinking about him? Like you're, you're like, something's off with him or maybe he's had a little bit too much to drink this early in the morning. Like it's not really connecting. So what's going on? We have to realize that there's a different context. Peter does this because there's something within the biblical tradition called a nature miracle. In the first century Jewish mind, who has power over creation? God. Who is the one who sets the boundaries of the seas and fills them with fish? He brought land out of water. Like, it's God. And in this moment, I believe Peter sees not just the fish, but Jesus' power over them and has this immediate realization, I've just come into the presence of God. And like so many prophets and people in the Old Testament that have encountered God, they, they quickly realize, man, this God is so great and so powerful that I have no option but to humble myself and declare how great he is. And in doing that, I declare how I'm less than him. That's what Peter's doing. Peter comes into the presence of God and it transforms his perspective of Jesus and it changes everything for him. Peter comes alive at this moment. And we pick up on this because his language changes. No longer does he call him master, but in verse 8 he says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. In the Greek it's kurios. And it means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. It actually conveys a more respectful and reverent tone. It's not, you have power over me no matter what I want. It's, I am giving you power over me. Peter has this amazing moment. And says, okay, this is not just somebody who I have to bow to. It's somebody I want to bow to. I've just come into the presence of an almighty God. No longer is Peter counted among the 70% unsure of his purpose. In this moment, he is no longer counted among the 70% unsure of his purpose. And this is what Jesus says. He gives him his purpose here in verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. For now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Makes perfect sense, right? just going to fish for people and peter's like oh that sounds awesome i'm going okay i think it's weird if you don't think it's weird you can stop listening um i think it's a little weird to say fish for people i've heard this story growing up so much as i said earlier and i thought in the process of preparing this text and this message i would just be rehearsing what i'd always heard and that every one of you would just be like okay fish for people. I don't fully understand, but I'm going to head nod. I'm going to say amen because I don't want to be left out. But as I began studying it, I got more excited about it. I got more excited about it because I dug in a little bit deeper because if it makes perfect sense to Peter, because you have to notice when Jesus gives him this purpose, fish for people, Peter drops everything and does it. So he understands it perfectly. Jesus does not tell Peter, Peter, follow me. He doesn't have to because the purpose that Jesus gives him is so compelling that Peter understands what it means immediately and says, okay, everything else is worthless aside from this purpose. So we have to understand why it made sense to him. Comes down to these two verses. Luke 5, 4 and verse 10. Peter, uh, it says, put down into deep water 
and let down for a catch. And then verse 10, fish for people. These two phrases are connected. The first one deals with context. Peter is out over deep water when Jesus gives this command. When we hear deep waters in the Bible, our minds should catalog and say, okay, where else have I seen deep water? If we go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1, it says that the earth was formless and void and there was deep waters covering the face of the earth. There was no life because it was covered by deep waters. It was chaos. It was disorder. It was darkness. And so every time we think of deep waters, we have to think of this separation from God, that creation and humanity separated from its intended order, its purpose, its meaning. And God does something amazing in Genesis 1. He peels back the water and he creates a place for life to exist. So Jesus is taking Peter out to deep water and say, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to reach into the deep waters. You're going to pull something out of darkness. You're going to pull stuff out of chaos. And that's where this term fish comes in. Fish for people. There's an action involved. And it's a little misleading, this term fish. Uh, In these 11 verses, there's actually five different Greek words that are used for fishing or catching or pulling in. It's, It's crazy how often it's used. But this one particular word, Jesus uses it just once. And it only occurs here in the New Testament. It's Zogron. And it means to pull something out or lead something out for, that is living. To lead something out that is living. Or to lead something out for the purpose of living. Let me put this all together. Because I know it's a lot going on. Deep waters, living stuff. It's kind of weird. Summarize. Cliff notes. Pull you back in. If you zoned out completely on all the Greek, which I absolutely love, this is where you come back in. Jesus is telling Peter to lead people out of darkness and death into light and life. To go to the place of chaos and darkness and death and to draw them out so they might experience light and life. And that to Peter, that's so compelling that he leaves everything. I remember being in high school about age 15 when my eyes were open to who Jesus was. And I'd been attending church for a number of years. But it wasn't until that moment that everything changed for me as I got a glimpse like Peter of the awesomeness of God and how great he was. And yet how humble God was to reach out to me, it overwhelmed me. It was as if light filled my soul. I could see things so much better. I could understand things so much better. I could find hope in the midst of darkness. Maybe you can relate to the fact that you can be walking in darkness and death right here. Like it's not just a future hell thing. It could be hell on earth. Your life could be darkness and dead right here. My darkness was pain. Disconnection from my father who was an alcoholic. Toxic relationships. I was filled with so much anger and bitterness. It led to isolation. Led to poor choices. I was walking around dead inside. And one day somebody spoke a word to me that opened my eyes to the love and light of Jesus. And I believe that's what Jesus is telling Peter. Go around and help people's eyes become open to the light and life of Jesus. Here's what one scholar says. To win back, to gather or fish for people meant that God was to become a life-giving, a living, life-sharing reality to him again. Genesis 2, God creates humanity. He creates you and I out of dirt and mud, and he breathes his breath into them, and they become alive. 
And I share that because you and I have the breath of God within us, this image of God within us. You're immensely valuable and worthy because you bear the mark, the image of God. You were created to reflect God. But through the choices that I've made, through the choices that Adam and Eve made, the purposes that we follow, it's as if we cover up that image. We cover up that breath and that breath gets suffocated. It begins to die out on us. But when we commit to Jesus It's as if that breath, that image of God is resuscitated. It's resurrected inside of us and we experience light on life again in an amazing way. If you want to understand your purpose, here it is. You were created to reflect the almighty God. And as you reflect God, you bring light and life. You shine light and life to others. Jesus says his very purpose in John 10, 10 is that they might have life and have it to the full. Peter not only commits his life to Jesus, he commits to bringing that light and life to others. It's actually the process when we begin extending it to others that we experience the fullness that God has for us to lead people out of darkness and death into light and life. So how do we do this? We speak truth. We speak grace. We speak hope all in the name of Jesus. We share what Jesus has done in our life to bring us from darkness to light. We share what Jesus has done to bring us to life again. This is important. It doesn't begin with theology. And for so long, this is where I got tripped up. I felt like if I were going to share Jesus's love, I had to understand the whole Bible. I had to understand all of theology. I had to have all the points down and be able to argue all the pieces. What I've discovered is that when you share life with somebody, they're willing and ready to accept it. Especially if you lead with, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And you can't refute that. I want that for you. I want what's best for you. This is how it plays out with my kids. When I mess up, which happens you know, once a year or so, According to them, it's like every five minutes. It's probably closer to the truth. But when I mess up, I go in and I, I share with them, one, an apology, but then I share with them the fact that God is working on me. He's working in my life. It's not a reflection on who Jesus is because I am falling short of who Jesus has called me to be. And at the same time, I bring glory to Jesus because I say, you don't know how far I've come. Jesus has been working on me this whole time, and I'm much further than my dad was. And by the grace of God, son, you have the image of God, and you're going to be much better than I am. There's hope for you. You are not stuck in this cycle, or maybe it's with a coworker where you're stuck speaking and hearing destructive words all the time. Can you be a life-speaking force in their life? Point them to the hope and life of Jesus Or maybe, and I think this is true for way too many people, maybe somebody needs to be reminded that they are an image bearer of God. That they are worth everything in this life. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I don't know Jesus. You are worth every moment of Jesus' attention and breath and life because you bear his image. It may feel covered up, may feel like you're walking in darkness, but, but Jesus wants to open that up and bring that light and life to you. You're not hopeless. You're not meaningless because you bear this image. 
And when we uncover this image like happens to Peter, we become so connected to our purpose. A couple weeks ago, I was on a motorcycle ride and uh, went out with a group of guys, about 20 or so of us, met up the Chick-fil-A um, out in Dulles, and we made this long, circuitous route to Percival. Anybody been to Monk's Barbecue? That's right. That was some of the best ribs I've had that day. I'm thinking about it now. We might go back there for Father's Day. It was amazing. Best in Northern Virginia that I found, Monk's out in Percival. Um, amazing ride. And so there's a couple things that I think of when I think about motorcycle rides. You may have the image of like groups of guys shooting through traffic at 100 miles an hour, popping wheelies, you know, on kind of crotch rocket these sports bikes. Uh, that only happens in Maryland, right? Like something, something about as soon as you cross that Wilson Bridge, it's like road rules are gone. And that, that wasn't us. This is our group. We're much more orderly. Um, I'm at the front there. And, um, you know, we've got about 20 guys and we're riding two file, staggered, because it's a little bit safer that way. But what that means is you've got about a one or two second gap when you're riding between you and the rider in front of you. And I learned a couple things this day because they were very clear about the purpose of this ride. And the leader, the guy at the very front sets that purpose. He chooses the route. He rides to the ability and skills of everyone in the group. And then he points out the road hazards along the way because one of his main goals is to get everybody there safe and alive, right? There's a lot of risks for riders. So his goal is to get everybody safe and alive. And one way that he does that at the very front of this pack is as he sees potholes or rocks, if it's on his right, he sticks his right leg out. Then he pulls his right leg in. And if there's a hole on the left, he sticks his left hand out. And he pulls his left hand in. And then he does the hokey pokey. No? I say all that because there are hazards out there. And he's at the front and his role is to... to let the guy behind him know that there's something that could get in his way of experiencing life. And what I quickly picked up on was that as that leader did it, the guy behind him did it. And because I was behind him, what did I do? I did it. I stuck the right leg out and I stuck the right leg in. And what was really cool is this line of about 20 or so bikes, as they saw an obstacle, a challenge, something that might get in the way of experiencing life, they would warn the guy behind them. That day, I could have had a great ride by just following that leader, benefiting from all that he saw. But my purpose in that ride would not have been fulfilled if I didn't pass that on to the guy behind me. My purpose, my enjoyment of that ride, my uh, ability to connect with that whole group would not have been experienced if I did not pass on light and life to the guy behind me, warning him of the things that were keeping him from safety. So I have to ask us, what are you doing to spread life to others? To help others see and avoid the potholes, the hazards, the traps of life. To help others to see the image of God within them. Is there someone you can think of by name that you can begin praying for? God, how can I speak life to this person in Jesus' name? How can I speak life to them? Who is that person for you? We're going to take some time to sing and reflect on the purposes that God has given us. And then we're going to take communion together. You can't fully experience resurrection in life, all that Jesus has for you, until you start passing it on to somebody else. 
You can't experience it. It's like breathing in and just holding your breath. It's not until you breathe it in, then breathe it out that you fully come to life. The first lines of this song remind us that we were all in darkness. But your purpose is to walk in light and life and where you walk to reflect that light and life of Jesus to others. The opening lines are this. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. Jesus comes running to you this morning saying, I am here and I am here to bring light and life to you. Will you stand and sing with us?